welcome. This is a message from Victory Church. We trust you'll be inspired and encouraged by today's message. Alright, we're going to continue our series this morning called On Mission. This is On Mission Part 4. And I want to read from the book of Mark, Mark chapter 6, and from verse 34, follow on your iPads, on your phones, in your Bibles, or on the screen. Mark chapter 6, verse 34 says, When Jesus landed, he saw a large crowd. Jesus was into numbers. For those of you who don't like large churches, Jesus didn't mind large churches or large crowds. And he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. By this time it was late in the day and so the disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. All sounds oh so reasonable, I'm sure you'd agree. But Jesus answered, you give them something to eat. The disciples came to Jesus with a very reasonable request. And he in turns gives them a seemingly very unreasonable answer. You give them something to eat. They said to him, that would take eight months of a man's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have? He asked them. Go and see. When they found out, they said, five and two fish. Then Jesus directed them to have them sit down in groups on the grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples to set before the people. He also also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 baskets of broken pieces of bread and fish. Many of you who have been a Christian for a number of years would have heard this passage of Scripture, either read to you or spoken about, or maybe you've read it in your devotional time. But every time I read it, there are different things that stand out to me. And I can't help but feel for the disciples just a little bit. Because they came to Jesus with a very reasonable request. In actual fact, you could say that disciples were thinking of the people. They were even caring for the people. And so they used their initiative. And Jesus was going on and on and on. And and so one of them, or maybe they went as a group, I'm not too sure. But they said to Jesus, "Um, Jesus, no offence, but you have been going on for a long time now. And um, not to make you out to be the villain or anything, Jesus, but we're kind of concerned for the people. 
which was to suggest that Jesus wasn't concerned for the people. It's amazing that we take the place of God, isn't it? We think we know better than God. And so they, they said, we think it'd be a great idea if the people would just go along their merry way right now and before they faint and pass out, they could go to the surrounding villages and countrysides to get themselves some food. Maybe they thought they knew better than Jesus at that moment in time. Or maybe they were using their care for the others as a disguise for how bored they were. I don't know. But whatever way you look at it, it seems like a fairly reasonable request. You've been going on for a long time. Enough's enough. Let's let them go early enough before it gets too late so that they can find some food. And Jesus answers with a very unreasonable answer. And he simply says, how about you feed them? And they were shocked at this. I imagine as they discussed it amongst themselves to pluck up the courage to approach Jesus on this issue, none of them thought that he would give them that answer. I believe for us to be the church that is on mission, we must go beyond reason. If we are to truly say yes to mission, we've got to go beyond reason. Many men and women far smarter than I have got caught up in the realm of reason and forfeited their mission. I can't help but feel that churches like ours get given an opportunity in the first place because better men and better women than us stuck to reason. And so God has to raise up another generation of unreasonable people to get on mission again. If we're going to be on mission, we've got to go beyond reason. And in order for us as a church to go beyond reason, we must take responsibility. See, Jesus was trying to get the disciples to take responsibility. In verse 37, He says, you give them something to eat. In other words, what are you going to do about it? Something the church is very good at is noticing problems. We're like A-class students when it comes to noticing problems. Have you noticed that? We know when the sound's too loud. We know when it's too hot in an auditorium. We know when it's too cold. We know when it's too this. We know when it's too that. We are the masters at identifying problems. Where the church has been a little bit weak is knowing what to do with those problems. And so these disciples come to Jesus and said, we've got a problem. We've got a lot of people and very little food. We've got a problem. Jesus, you've been preaching too long. Jesus, the music is too loud. Jesus, it's too stuffy in here. Jesus, it's too cold in here. Jesus, those rocks are uncomfortable. Can't we get some nice comfortable chairs? Maybe we get some pews. Maybe we get a better lighting. It's getting a little bit dark now. We're great at recognising problems. And Jesus just cuts straight to the heart of the issue and says, what are you going to do about it? Why don't you give them something to eat? You've identified the problem, well done. Why don't you come up with an answer? 
And I think what Jesus is trying to stir us into thinking is that there are answers for every problem. Who has those answers? The very same people who noticed the problem in the first place. And so he says, you give them something to eat. He was trying to get them responsible for the problem that they'd noticed. My concern that for most Christians today, we don't feel responsible enough for the mission God has entrusted to our care. And so the church has tried to stir up the people into a frenzy when it comes to mission. And that might work for a short time. But guilt is not a good motivating factor to get you on mission. Jesus is trying to get the disciples to be responsible for the people. My desire this morning is that we become responsible for the people in our world. That we wouldn't just feel bad and guilty and condemned that we haven't brought someone to church in recent months. That that's not the motivation behind what I'm sharing. If we're going to truly be on mission, it's got to start with the responsibility we have for people. Otherwise, what we do will only be done for a short period of time. And so Jesus is trying to get these disciples of His to be responsible because when you become responsible, it removes excuses. See, once you feel responsible for something, you'll do anything you have to do. Last night, I'm sure there are a lot of crying babies around the city of Adelaide. And I don't know about you, but I didn't feel too responsible for those crying babies. But we have had three children of our own. And it never ceases to amaze me the incredible ability, particularly for mums, to go the extra mile when it comes to feeding and raising young children, particularly in those early days of infancy. I know for my wife, prior to having kids, she didn't get up in the middle of the night just for anything or anyone. But when there's this young child that is in desperate need, the responsibility kicks in. And so what she would not, uh, otherwise never have done, she finds herself now doing automatically. And there are mums right across this auditorium that had that same responsibility in the middle of the night, possibly more than once. Because you've moved out of guilt, you've moved out of condemnation, you've moved into, I've got to be responsible. And Jesus looked at the large number, no matter how large the crowd was, He felt a responsibility toward them. He said He looked at them and He had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And so He felt a responsibility and it was a responsibility that the disciples did not have. 
They just wanted to get rid of them. As a church, we don't want to just get rid of the problem. We want to be here for the problem. And the problems are getting bigger and bigger in our society today. The government do not have the answers. And I believe that in the darkness of the times in which we live, we have the greatest moment on history, in history, sorry, on earth to shine. But we will miss our moment if we don't take on a greater level of responsibility for people. And so Jesus said to the disciples, what are you going to do about it? And as the senior leader of this church, I want to say to us, with all the problems that are out there, what are we going to do about it? It starts with us taking on a responsibility. Now, we may not be able to be responsible for everyone and everything, but we've got to be responsible for something. So in order for us to be on mission and go beyond reason, we've got to be responsible. And secondly, we have to use what we have. Jesus said to them, why don't you feed them? And they said, oh, Jesus, that, that would take like, oh, man, Judas, help us out here. And Judas is like, that'd take us eight months of a man's wages. Think about the average wage today. It's a lot of money. What they were saying at that moment is, we don't have that kind of money. And, 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 they, and they were right. The church is great at talking about what we don't have. And it's not that we're wrong. We're always right about what we don't have. We're never wrong. We are great at ordering our life when it comes to what we do not have. And by virtue of them highlighting what they did not have, they felt they were now excused from the responsibility that Jesus was trying to give them. And so Jesus answers their response with this. Well, what do you have? In order for us to be on mission, God is not interested in what we don't have. It never ceases to amaze me when you talk to individuals, the first thing that comes up is what they don't have, what they can't do, what they're not good at. And all of it's true. But God only wants to know one thing. What do you have? And here's the amazing thing about this little story. They didn't even know what they had. Which again represents the church of today. We don't know what we've got. We don't know what we're good at. We don't know what we can do. And Jesus said, we'll go find out. He's a master of just not removing the pressure when pressure is on. And so Jesus says, you've noticed the problem. Why don't you fix it? In order for you to fix it, you've got to find out what you have. Go on, go on. Find out what you've got. And it says they went away and they had to come back because they did not know what they had. When I say to you this morning, what are you good at? Many of you will say, I, I don't know. 
So why don't you find out? Why don't you ask someone in your world what they think you are good at? They might surprise you. They might say, you're really good at whinging. (laughs) But it took some time for them to come back. Maybe you might need to do a gifts course. Maybe you might need to do something to find out what what floats your boat. Because God has put mission in us. And he's put certain desires in us and he wants to marry our desires with mission. He wants us to use what we have been given by God to further his kingdom. In other words, Most of us in this room are not going to be doing what I do. There'll be a handful, but most will not. But that does not excuse you. Most in this room will not be able to do what Steve Hedrick does. He's like a genius, a magician when it comes to all things audiovisual. But that doesn't excuse you if you're not good at that. Maybe you're not like Mick and Katie who look after our children's ministry. Maybe you're not wired. Maybe, maybe you're a little bit like me and you know, if they're not your kids, kind of like, you know, bye. Just, just. <laughs> but that doesn't excuse you. Go find what you have. And they came back and said, wow, I don't know what good it is, but we've got, you know, five loaves and two fish. And Jesus says, good. Good. Well, Jesus, I've been away. I've thought about it. Everyone seems to think I'm I'm great with accounting. I don't know. What good can accounting be in the church? You'll be surprised. You know what? I asked my friends what they thought I'm good at. And they said, that every person to a man said this, I'm really happy. <laughs> what good is that? You know what? If you're a happy person and your friends think, I want you on our front door saying hello to everyone as they walk in. You are a valuable member of this missional organisation called Victory Church. So what have you got? I'm not asking, can you all preach? I'm not asking that. I'm not asking, can you all edit short films? I'm not asking that. I'm saying, what have you got? And in order to find out what you've got and what's in your hand, you may need to go away and find out. Probably one of the greatest ways to find out what you're good at and what you're not good at is by volunteering. See, if you sit in your pew and and sit there waiting for the divine will of God to just fall into your lap, it's never going to happen. It's just not going to happen. More often than not, you will find God's will for your life when you are moving. God is drawn to your movement. And so as a young man who came to Christ and found himself in a local church, not aware for one moment of the will or the call of God on my life, having no inkling that I would one day plant a church, 
having no idea that I'd be standing before hundreds of people on a weekly basis doing what I do today, with, with none of that in my mind or in my heart. It was not a desire of mine. I knew enough to get involved in the local church. I was taught well enough and I knew instinctively enough, you don't just take, you have to give. And so the first role that I had was cleaning the toilets and the auditorium. That, that was my first role. I did that with my dad. Was that the will of God for my life? Not really. But in doing that, I also got the opportunity to get involved in kids' ministry. Now, I don't do that today, but being involved in the local church helped me understand some things I liked, some things I didn't like, some things I was good at, some things I was not good at. And I looked after the children for four years. And then there was an opening, an opportunity for our youth group to start and, and they needed some leadership. And I never felt a call to that. But I was asked, can, can, can you help us in the youth ministry? And so I said, I don't know if I can. That was my answer. Can you help? I don't know. I may be more of a hindrance. <laughs> but we're going to find out. And there are young people today who are probably not in a good place because of me being more of a hindrance. That's my claim to fame. But I did that for seven years. And I never felt one moment of my life that, oh, well, this is the will of God for my life. It's just doing something. Can you look after young people? I don't know. We're going to find out. And then shock of all shock. One day, our pastor came to me and said, have you ever thought of starting your own church? I said, no, never. I have, I want to be honest, I have never thought of starting my own church. And I thought that was the end of the discussion. He asked me, have you? I said, no. And he says, well, would you like to? I said, no. But I knew like I knew like I knew there was something on the inside of me. The Holy Spirit going, scaredy cat. And so although I wanted to say no, I said this. I went, yes. I thought, wow, that's really funny. My no just sounded like yes. <laughs> and within a month, we had our first service. And Pete was there and Baz was there and my dad was there and Scotty was there and Fiona was there and Mush was there. And it was just like so surreal. Like, well, this is weird. And for 12 months, every Sunday, I would stand up and say, man, I don't know what I'm doing, but I sure am having fun. Are you having fun? I think the fact that they thought I didn't know what I was doing kind of made them a little bit nervous. But my leadership was growing. And that was 19 years ago, and here we are today. If there's anything about this church you appreciate, know how it started. It started with me just saying yes, even when I wanted to say no. 
Do you want to start a church? Yes. What? I invented a new word, yes. Following Jesus for me sounds a lot like this, yes. Because no is always my first response and it's your first response. We're going to turn our no into yes. So you've got to take responsibility. You've got to find out what you have. See, winning the last is not part of our program. It is the program. And we want to do whatever we can to win people to Christ. And if that means for you, the services are too long or too short, or the music's too loud or too whatever, while we love you, we want to stay on mission. Because the program is not about you and I. Which brings me to my third point, and that is that we've got to work together. Jesus, although there was a lot of people, it says he gathered them in 50s and in their hundreds. In other words, Jesus made it as easy as possible to feed people. I mean, it's exciting to have a large crowd, but Jesus knew the miracle needed to be managed. For all the spiritual types out there today, know this. Miracles need to be managed. Jesus had a large crowd and he thought, how can we feed them? Now, if he wanted to bypass the disciples and just get on mission by himself, he could have just rained down bread from heaven. But he wanted to involve us. He wanted to involve the disciples. And that takes organisation. And so to help the disciples, help the people, he got the disciples to organise them in groups of hundreds and fifties. And they worked together so that every person was able to be fed. Miracles need to be managed. This is probably the hardest thing about doing church. When we're in the presence of God and we're just singing and enjoying those moments, that, that's, that's easy. But organising people that have different likes and different preferences... In this meeting today, there are people who think our meetings are too long and there are people that think our meetings are too short. There are some that think the music's too loud and there's others saying, man, can we crank up the tunes, please? And all of that needs managing. And all of that needs explanation as to why we pitch it here and not here. For all the different groups that we have trying to reach different groups of people, it takes leadership. A church like this takes staffing. And I'll be the first to concede that those that we have in leadership and those that we even have on staff aren't always the best people. The most qualified people. But in a church like this, we've got to work with the best qualified and the most willing in an ideal world, willing and able is always the best. But sometimes we have to work with willing. Because those that are able aren't willing. 
And so if you are sitting there thinking, why is he doing that? I could do a much better job. My question is, what are you going to do about that? Some of the appointments I've had to make and some of the people we've had to ask to lead certain ministries make me and our team look quite average when it comes to leadership because Blind Freddy can see they're not the best person for the job. But what also Blind Freddy's failing to see is that there is no one else willing. But what I'm believing for as we move forward as a church, we're not only going to just get the willing. We're going to get the able. And there are some people that are willing and able for a season. And then their season comes to an end. We have to make some changes. There are some people that say yes to God and they, they hit a ceiling and they have to be removed from that position into another position. It's not failure. It's just wisdom. Because the miracles need to be managed. If I said to you as a church, how, who would love our church to be twice the size what it is presently? In the context of mission, we'd all say yes. But this I know. All those extra people would need managing. And we need a level of leadership. And so we can't afford to be people that are just spiritual. But we must also be practical and real. Otherwise we're going to miss our moments. And so for me, the greatest part of this miracle is not that Jesus was able to feed the people Five loaves and two fish turned into a miraculous feed. That's not the miracle for me. The miracle is that the disciples were able to order people to sit in their 50s and in their 10s. Because if that moment looked anything like our Sunday services, Peter would have been saying, can you just sit there? No, no, I want to sit over there. He's on my rock. I always, that's my rock. I want to sit over there. All right. Well, okay. You can go over there. That's 49. I need one more over here just to make it 50 because Jesus said 50s and 100s. Just please sit there. You're right. Cool. Whew, we've got our first 50. Sit, stay. Whatever you do, don't go. I need to go to the toilet. Tie a knot in it. Just stay. Stay. I think the easiest part of that day was Jesus turning the loaves and the fish into what it was. Organising people. That's the miracle. And it's also where the fun is. And as a church that's been going 19 years, there's a sense in my heart that God has so much more for us But it's going to take a willingness, not us just working with God, but us working with one another. We have to be willing to work with one another. And I want to ask you, if, if for the sake of our future, someone who would normally sit here had to sit over there, would you do it? And if for the sake of someone sitting who would normally sit over here has to sit over there, would you do it? And, and if, if for the sake of what you're now doing... We don't want you to do anymore, but we want you to serve here. Would you do it? Because the miracle has to be managed. 
And when you look at the statistics, the fact that churches are growing is miraculous. But those miracles need to be managed. When we first started our church, we had 12 people. Didn't take much management. We just rocked up and everyone did what they did. It was real simple. But as this church gets larger, it's going to take more managing and more leadership. And some of you who are more spiritually inclined are going to say, this is getting too corporate. And that's our future. You've got to understand that this is our future. It's going to feel different. It may even sound a little bit different. Because it has to in order to house the multitudes that God wants to bring in. When my mum and dad immigrated from the UK, it was Mr. and Mrs. Rainbow and no more. And they were footloose and fancy free and they could do whatever they want whenever they wanted. Very little organisation was needed. And then Pete came along, took a little bit more organisation. Then I came along, then Baz came along. But even so, mum and dad and three kids, we can put those three kids in the car and, and do what we must. And, and come Christmas, it was really easy to organise. There was no relatives, they were all in the UK. There were no family to consider. Christmas Day was really easy for my mum and dad to organise. Hmm, where should we go today for Christmas? Um, our house. <laughs> Next year, where should we spend Christmas Day? I know, our house. But as we grew up and got married, there are other families now to consider. And the rainbow lunch, which was always roast beef, Yorkshire pudding, vegetables, a little bit of gravy, <laughs> cut a tea afterwards, lots of presents. And now, but hang on, but Cass mum wants me to go, and you don't want to get on the wrong side of Cass mum. <laughs> and there's only one thing worse than getting on the side of, wrong side of Cass mum, and that was getting on the wrong side of Sally Ann's mum. <laughs> so Pete, he was like, boo, he's gone. <laughs> and Baz married into a blended family, so he's got double the in-laws. And it's just like, and the Rainbow family looked oh so different on Christmas Day. And instead of complaining that our Christmas days don't feel the same anymore, which they didn't. And instead of complaining that our Christmas days don't look the same anymore, which they didn't. We celebrated the fact that our family has got bigger. And it needed more organising. And so in order for everyone to get seen, our Christmas day is celebrated on the 26th of December. This year we waited till January 6th to have our Christmas day with Cass family. It happens. It happens. Does it mean we love people less? No, no, no. It just means we've got more people to love. And the more people to love we have, it takes more organisation. And it takes a greater level of capacity and skill within those leading. And so we've had people that have been able to lead when the church was 100 that couldn't lead when we got to 200. And we've had people leading certain areas of ministry that, that when the church was 200 that couldn't lead when it was 500. And so there's always going to be an element of change within our leadership team and structure and staffing. I need you as a church to understand that. 
Because otherwise, we're going to respond immaturely. And unfortunately, the church is known for how immature it does respond when there is change. And this is where we can learn a lesson from the world. The world is smarter than the church. Because the world understands this principle better. Okay, he can no longer do the job. He's fired. Makes sense. Here, we have to do it in such a way that brings understanding, clarity, wisdom, so that we can keep seeing the people that used to serve in a capacity next week. And that's why one of my heroes is Fiona Mitchell, because she's served in so many roles. And in a sense, she's been pushed from pillar to post. She said yes to this for a season, and yes to that for a season, and yes to this for a season. And, and, and she's been pushed from pillar to post. But she's always been able to make the change, because she never allowed it to get personal. She stayed on mission throughout every change. And so there will be change in the next six months. And I guarantee by Vision Sunday there will be change again. But just see it for what it is. And don't try and make a story out of something that there's no story to tell. We make the changes because we want to stay on mission. This is the end of the message. Thank you for taking the time to listen, and God bless.